I married a narcissistic sociopath and then had to bury him after his suicide. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Mark and I are blown away by the tremendous support on the heels of our 150th episode. We're excited to welcome thousands of new subscribers and wanted to share a few of our past listener favorites. Thank you again for subscribing, favoriting, and sharing. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave or those lighter, funnier ones that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the whatever. (laughs) Oh my God, today, my guest is Susan. Now, Susan, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret, Mm -hmm. I married a narcissistic sociopath and then had to bury him after his suicide. Holy crud. That is, (laughs) that's a lot. It is a lot. And I'm not quite sure how I survived it, but I'm here. (laughs) Cause that is just, the weight almost went on me when you actually said it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because back when I met him, it was in 2011. Okay. And back then the terms, you know, narcissist and sociopath Mm -hmm. terms like love bombing and gaslighting, these were not common terms back in 2011. So not at all, you know, um, I didn't realize all of this was happening and there were, you know, at that time there were no names for these things. I just felt crazy. I didn't know how I was going to make it through each day. And it's interesting because I know in a lot of cases, I mean, we know people throw around the term narcissist, right? Yes. Like, um, you know, well, I so have many narcissistic people have, tendencies. Right, a lot like, of people yeah. have tendencies, you know. Yeah. And now that we've been educated and we understand what that really means, the one thing I will say is with uh, my late husband, mm-hmm. he was actually professionally diagnosed as a sociopath. Now, I didn't know that. While during our marriage, it was after his death, we had been seeking marriage counseling towards the end. Yeah. And our, our therapist, Uh she had diagnosed him as a sociopath. And, 
at that time, you know, I was unaware, but after his death, she shared that with me. And I was like, and then it was like, then I was on a mission to find out what is a sociopath, you know? Yeah. So then I did, did you my, like Google the shit out of it? I Googled, like, <laughs> yes. I went crazy. And I'm like, I read books, the sociopath next door, you know, all these things and learning what is a narcissist and what, what are all these things? And I'm, I'm so grateful today that these are common things that we're talking about now, yeah. because women in these, you know, women or men in these type of relationships, um, to be able to hear this and not, and realize they're not crazy. You know what I, I mean? I know I do. I do right. want to get into your story because it's so fascinating. Okay. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're going to help so many people, my listeners, because just in my day-to-day life, I work with couples and one of them is a narcissist. And he doesn't see it, but then right. I know another couple where the woman is the narcissist yeah. and it does drive the other person crazy. Yes. So let's, let's kick it back. Okay. Let's go back to 2011. Okay. Like what was the start of your relationship and where were you to even pick that type of partner? So I was not in a good place. I mean, that's really an important piece of the story. Um, I'm actually um, in recovery. Um, I'm, yes, 10 years. I just celebrated 10 years of recovery from alcoholism. Um, Congratulations. Still in recovery, of course, not recovered. (laughs) We're never Never recovered. recovered. Never recovered. um, So at that time, um, so when I met my late husband, we met online on a dating app, of course. Um, and I wasn't in a good place. Like I was, I was beginning my, I'll call it my spiral to, you know, hitting bottom. Right. So I was extremely vulnerable and really, to be honest, you know, and, and a lot of this is in hindsight, right. We realize things. Yeah. I was a target. I was a mark for him. He had just gotten out of prison. He had been in prison for four years. For what? Well, I never got the real story. He was a pathological liar, but I did, um, through my own research, I was able to determine that it was a very serious offense of domestic violence. I believe it involved a stabbing, Um, but I never, you know, from him, the story was downplayed. It was told multiple different ways. Of course. So the actual story from him, I never really could believe he was a liar. So, um, but I did, there were uh, newspaper articles so I was able to confirm some of the story, but it, it was a domestic violence case and he went to prison for four years. So he had just been released when I met him and he downplayed that. And of course, I was extremely vulnerable, naive. You know, he told me, oh, yeah, um, you know, I got in a bar fight with a guy and hit him over the head, you know, with a, a beer bottle. And I'm just like, oh, that's pretty right. Like no biggie. Right. Pretty benign. I'm just like, okay. Even though stabbing somebody at a bar is not good either. That sounded so, but like we glamorize that, right? Yeah. And media and and movies, like fighting at a bar over a woman. Like that's like a good thing, which is like a horrible thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I fell for, you know, like I believed him. Um, And he, he immediately began love bombing me right from the minute we met. And as it turns out, you know, he was a chronic alcoholic, you know, 30 plus years, like his whole life, he had uh, suffered. And how long were you drinking at this time? So I had been, my drinking career really started around 2008. So I, I was only a few years in, but I was spiraling fast. Okay. Towards the end, towards the end, I, you know, I was hiding handles in my closet. 
Um, I was taking water bottles of vodka to work, you know, hard to admit, but yeah, that it was pretty bad. It was daily all day. So you were just, you know, ready for someone to come in and, and, and bump up the trauma level. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't see the red flags because I wasn't clear minded. Let's face it. You know, well, again, they weren't talking about red flags then either. Yeah, exactly. You paint those red flags green is what I always say. Like, that's exactly it. Exactly. (laughs) So he love bombed me right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hadn't had that before, you know, that attention and that just, you know, he, um, you know, and, and they say, you know, with narcissists and sociopaths, they mirror your behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, being in a vulnerable place and like I said, spiraling close to hitting my bottom, I was desperate for love. Right. I was desperate for filling that hole in my soul. And it was at the time, you know, I was looking for a relationship to do that. Do you think you have a little bit of the love addiction and codependency? Um, I definitely did during those years. I believe that I'm, you know, I believe that I'm in recovery from that as well um, because I do make much smarter decisions now. Um, But, um, but yeah, I'm sure that that was a part of it. Um, I'm sure I was desperate for that love and he could see that from the time we met. I think it was within three weeks uh, I had moved him in. And within four months, he had convinced me to go to the courthouse and get married. So four (gasps) months after meeting this man, and I was hammered while we were getting married. (laughs) And they still married you? I'm surprised they did. But yeah, they did. It surprises me when I think back because, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I even considered that for a minute, like, you know, would that help me with an annulment? Right. When I finally realized, well, what had happened was after finally that year. And so in 2011, uh, we got married in August. Um, we, well, we met, yeah, in March, he moved in a few weeks later, got married in August. And by that November, I was ready to, um, end my life. I mean, he, you know, by this time I was under his spell and I was miserable, you know, that, yeah, trapped, trapped. We were now married. I had moved him in. My drinking was out of control. Um, I was about to lose my job, about to lose everything. And I just, I didn't want to go on anymore. And mm. it was actually, if you can believe this, it was actually, I woke up one morning just bawling. I said, I, I can't, I, I had the shakes. I was withdrawing. I said, I can't live like this anymore. And it was actually him who said, I know of this place where you can go and they'll help you feel better. And you have to, you know, for me, I didn't know what alcoholism even was. I knew nothing about recovery, the program, rehab, detox. I knew, I didn't even know why I was shaking. I'm like, why am I shaking? What's wrong with me? I'm going to die, right? Like, I didn't even know that this was a thing. As it turned out, you know, he was the one who referred me to a, a rehab. Isn't it so funny? Like the person that brings you to your knees sometimes is a person that saves you. And it's just such a, it's such an odd feeling. This person that was destroying you actually gave you the window of hope. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back on it now, I can truly say that I may not have found recovery if I hadn't gone through this adversity, you know, meeting him. A hundred percent. Right. I actually know that. Like you have to get to that place where you are so on your knees and you're willing to like run your car into the, you know, off the road or just, you just want to be done with this life. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I ended up in, in rehab mm-hmm. and I remember it was funny because when, when I, when I woke up, you know, on day two or whatever and looked around, I'm like, I thought only celebrities went to rehab. What am I doing here? You know, because all I had ever seen is celebrity rehab with Dr. Drew, right? Oh my God, or on a movie or something. Oh my God, I love that. That's so funny. I'm just like, wait a minute. So anyway, I did did two stints in recovery before I really, it it caught up, right? Right, right. Before I found meetings and, and and a community. Yeah. So now I'm in recovery. I'm, I'm fighting to stay sober, right? I'm going to meetings. I'm doing the deal. Well, I'm married to a sociopath. So he's, you know, um, he's trying to convince me and, and I'm still very vulnerable, right? Uh, more vulnerable, just more. so you know, so people know if you're ever in recovery that first year, oh, it's yeah. like taking away every single coping mechanism, whether it's exactly. drinking, eating, sex, whatever, Everything. taking it away. So you're like a raw, raw. skeleton walking you around. No defense. Exposed. Yes. Right. And one of the first things that I latched onto in early recovery was I wanted to become the good citizen of the world. And, um, you know, I had my kids, you know, my family, everybody. I mean, just I was I was a horrible person during my drinking years. And so immediately I wanted to turn my life around and become a good person. Right. Become a good citizen It's somehow in my head it got stuck that to be a good citizen, I had to remain married. Divorce wasn't going to fit with this new good citizen that I wanted to be. I was like, I can't just immediately go divorce my husband, right? Like that's not the right thing to do, right? I have to give my marriage a chance. So this was part of kind of this whole new, you know, trying to, to, make amends and be a better person and be a good citizen. And, you know, um, before I, I, I didn't mention earlier, but before I, you know, landed in rehab, he and I were serious drinking buddies. Like we drank around the clock together. So as soon as I went into, you know, rehab and began to, you know, work a program of recovery, he started to panic a little bit. Now, he continued to drink 24-7 and tried to convince me he wasn't an alcoholic and didn't need rehab because then I was like, maybe you got to, you know, try this or, you know. They well, don't want to hear it. They don't the want to re- hear it. <laughs> the rehab that he recommended for me to go to, he had actually been in seven times previously, <gasps> but never mentioned that. Never mentioned it. So um, I found out a secret keeper. Yes, (laughs) big time. So um, about a year after, so about a year into to uh, my recovery. Yeah. um, So I I just tell this story because it's just it's a crazy story. I was at work one day and he was at home drinking. And because he had just gotten out of prison on a on a violent offense, he was on parole. Yeah. So he had a parole officer and his uh, parole officer's name. I, I, I won't say it out loud, but. He also had an ex-wife. Well, the ex-wife and the parole officer had similar names. Let's just okay. say that. Okay. Um, so one day he was angry at the ex-wife. He was sitting at home drinking, totally hammered. I'm at work, right? He's he's uh, mad at the ex-wife because she won't give him back some of his stuff or whatever. So he sends her a very threatening text. He says, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want my stuff. If you don't return it, I'm going to F you up. You know, just a, a really threatening text. So uh, that afternoon at work, I get a call from his parole officer 
saying, I just want you to know that we just arrested him. His name was Eric. We just arrested Eric and he's in Orange County jail. (gasps) And I'm like, um, like he doesn't leave the house. How did he get thrown in jail? Like you're like literally sober for a year and uh, your husband gets arrested. I'm at work. Like I don't, you know, and he sits home all day, just drinks all day. He doesn't even leave the house. Right. So I'm like, what happened? Well, this threatening text that he sent to the ex-wife, he didn't actually send to the ex-wife. He sent the text to his parole officer. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately they came out to my apartment in the middle of the day with a SWAT team and, and his him. parole officer to arrest him and throw him in jail for making violent threats. So and so anyway, immediately he thought I was the one who turned him in. I'm like, mm. excuse me, like I'm at work minding my own business. What are you talking about? You know? So this is where the story takes an interesting turn because this was, you know, obviously in hindsight, this was my chance. This was a fork in the road. He, he got thrown into Orange County jail and, and his parole officer told me, I'm going to keep him there for a while. He needs, he needs to sit. So So this was was like like, the beginning of the end, probably, right? Like that separation? Sadly, not close enough to the end, (laughs) but, um, but here, here's, here's where, you know, um, things could have changed, but again, me and I, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. He was in that, in that jail cell for about, I think he spent 90 or 120 days. I forget three or four months. Well, when he got out, obviously he was sober. Cause you know, he couldn't drink in, in jail. So he said, I'm sober. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Phoenix house. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get, well, I'm going to get in recovery. Please let me come home. And I'm like, Ooh, uh, well, we'll just see. So he did, he, he actually went to, you know, Phoenix house, which is here in Orange County. He spent like another 90 days doing a program. Right. Okay. So by the end of that, he, and I had gone to visit him, you know, on visiting day, you know, over those three months. And by the end, he had me convinced that he was committed to recovery wanted to come home and I should let him come home. And I did. I did. And even during that that time, yeah, it was, uh, it was rough. I let him come home. And actually there were a few months there in the beginning where, and again, going back to, we know that sociopaths and narcissists can't really change. I mean, he put on the, he put on the facade, right? Like he, he played the part. He wore the mask to convince me. Mm-hmm. And, um, he literally, he got a sponsor, he went to meetings and, and, you know, he got all these friends in, in, in the AA rooms and, you know, people said, oh, he's amazing. His story is, is so incredible. And he's going to do such great things, sharing his story. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe he really has got this thing. Right. Well, as it turns out, he, you know, he had, uh, he was, he was drinking, like he mm-hmm. was drinking. He was just faking it. He was hiding alcohol, you know, he did a couple of months and then he started again. So then it became, it became just uh, a roller coaster. It was, he would go on benders and then he would try to get sober. He would nearly die detoxing at home in our bed. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, he had seizures and, you know, foaming at the mouth. I mean, just very, you know, cause he refused to go to rehab. So he wanted to detox at home and then he so did a couple of weeks and he was back again. And, and this whole time I'm trying to, you know, um, 
work my program, right? And so um, I went to a lot of meetings during those years. I'll tell you what. Now, how many years did that go on before like the shit hit the fan? So it was four years. Uh Um, Finally, after the roller coaster, we, you know, as the end was approaching, it was another detox and then, you know, trying to get back into the rooms and get back into recovery. He, and I told him, I said, I have to tell you that this is the last time. I can't do it anymore. I was beginning to finally find my voice with the help of my sponsor, the meetings, the community, women in the rooms who helped me. Yeah, I was beginning to finally find my voice. And so powerful. Yeah. And so I said, this is it. This is it. I, I can't do this anymore. We had been through so many detoxes where he almost died and, you know, and then started drinking again. I said, I'm all done. I can't anymore. I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't live a life like this anymore. So this is the last time, you know, he said, I've got it this time. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to work a program and I'm going to do, you know, and so he did, he got back into the rooms and that was like around Halloween of 2014. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he fell off in right around Valentine's day, 2015. So maybe he got about six months kind of white knuckling. He wasn't really working a program, but you know, was, he knew that he was out on the street. He didn't have a job. I supported him for all four years. Uh, he didn't have income. He didn't have family. He didn't have, he didn't have anything. He had nothing. He had me and that was it. So he knew that if I really, you know, made good on my, my final thread that he was going to be on the streets. So he really white knuckled it for those few months. And then, you know, Valentine's day, it was right around Valentine's day. And so I said, you know what? I told you I was done. And, and I meant that I meant that. And, and this was, this was the hardest, oh my gosh, the hardest time of my life. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm also an empath. I, you know, I, I, the idea of throwing him out on the streets was crushing my soul. You know what I mean? And so, but I said, I can't live like this anymore. And then he got the, the fuck it, you know, then he's like, well, fuck it, go ahead. You know, without a, you just throw me out. I don't care what, whatever, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, and, um, so anyway, I ended up, it took about maybe two months, mm-hmm. but I basically, uh, secured a new place to, he, he said, I'm not moving. He said, if, if, you know, if you're, if you want me out, like I'm not leaving, so you're going to have to leave. So it was my, it was my place, but I had to leave. So like I gave notice, I found a new place. Like my, my college age daughter was living with us at the time and, and poor thing. She had to go through all this as well. That's what a narcissist does though. That is what I was dealing with. It's like, they will, they create the problem. Not that like you didn't have your own issues, but then they yes. refuse to leave when you're yeah. like, I'm he said, done. I'm not leaving. So I said, okay. So if you're listening out there, if you're with the narcissist, they will never leave. Right. You actually they will not have leave. to leave. No. They will torture you yes. until you actually leave. Right. Right. And okay. so after, after when, when finally I moved out and it was all said and done, I actually did file for divorce, which was really yeah. difficult, but I did it. You did it. Um, And he said, I'm not you're not, I'm not going to let you divorce me. And so I actually convinced him to, I said, how about if I give you some money? I knew it. It it was my attorney who recommended it's called a post nuptial. He said, we're going to offer him, we're going to offer him a post nuptial. So we're going to give him a lump sum payment. Yeah. You know, that way you don't have to pay spousal support. You don't have to, he doesn't get your 
retirement, all that stuff, right? But that's what you have to do. That's what I had to go through processes with people like to pay to get divorced because they will like clutches. So just, you are not alone in this story. Like this story I have heard a, a dozen or more times. And it's crazy. So he actually agreed. He took the money. Um, and for whatever reason, he moved to a random city in Arizona. He, I gave him the car. So he had a car and he had money. He, he went to Arizona and I'm like, yes. Well, he continued to text and call me, you know, um, obsessively. Like he stalked me. Um, I was grateful he was in Arizona, but at the same time, he wouldn't leave me alone. I got a hundred text messages, a hundred phone calls from him every single day. Yeah. So I thought this man is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Like, you know, even, even with the divorce, he's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And so this went on for about three months after the move and, and our divorce was pending, you know, it takes six months or whatever, right. For a divorce to become finalized. Yep. So about three months after he moved, um, I got a text message one day, um, from his phone. And, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because I was at dinner with a girlfriend and I was telling my girlfriend how he stalks me and haunts me and, and he's torturing still, you. Yeah. yeah, still torturing me. And I get a text message and it, and the text message from his number says, this is Tina, Eric committed suicide today. And I actually uh. saw the text and I showed my girlfriend and I said, this is what he does to me. This is the torture. I didn't believe it. Yeah, I wouldn't I either. that he was, again, because he had done tons of stuff and like that. And threatened it, probably. Narcissists love to threaten suicide. suicide yeah. every other day. So I thought, this is what, now he's pretending to be his roommate and telling me that, you know, it actually happened. So I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And about, but it still upset me, you know, I mean. Of course. So as I'm sitting there at dinner, about 20 minutes later, I got a voicemail or a call that mm-hmm. I let go to voicemail from his sister, who he was estranged. He, he and his sister were estranged. So I never heard from his sister ever. Yeah. So I'm like, oh crap. Like, why would his sister be calling? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like my heart sunk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what has happened? So basically it was true that he uh, drug overdose. Right. And so the reason they, um, I said, couldn't it have been a mistake? Maybe it was an accidental. Well, they said that he told his roommate that morning, this is it. Today's my last day on earth. I'm, wow. you know, I'm done. And, um, and weirdly the, the roommate said, oh, we'll be at Walmart. So we'll see you later. But anyway. Um, but see, that's the thing when people threaten when over they and threaten over again, it every day, really yeah, nobody believes them. And that's what yeah. she said. She goes, he threatened it all the time. Like this. Yeah. Is so poor her, but listen, yeah. I just had this recently, a friend through the same thing mm-hmm. was with a narcissist and the, yep. the person passed away. Right. Kind of similar circumstances. Yeah. And it's like, his yeah. poor soul gets to be at rest now and your soul gets well, to be and, at rest. And I always felt guilty saying that, but you know, God does, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves sometimes. And I hadn't blocked him. I was still receiving texts. You and didn't calls change your and, number. I would have no, changed your number. I know. I know. <laughs> the things we, you know, so at that point, I being his wife, we weren't divorced. Right. So uh, and he was estranged from his family. I had to arrange his entire memorial. 
So I had to work with the the police, the funeral home, you know, the autopsy, they did the whole thing. And I had to have him brought back to California. I had to plan a memorial. Um, It was just, I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. So, you know, the next year was an interesting year for me. It was, um, you know, it was very, I had very mixed emotions. They were, they went from being completely 100% relieved, mm-hmm. relieved from being stalked and harassed by a sociopath, mm-hmm. but also very sad for this poor, sick man. Yeah. Who, I never wanted that to be his fate. No, you know, you never want that for anyone. I wanted him to, to find wellness and happiness, but it's not possible. He was too far gone. And so it was, like I said, just really mixed emotions, but, you know, I got through it and, you know, uh, once I sort of came up, you know, that year, I, I got even deeper into my program. I, you know, I, you know, from there, I, I finally found real joy. I mean, I, you know, really, um, you know, my first several years in recovery, while I was so grateful to be sober and to have found, you know, this new life, I still had this very dark, dark cloud over my head for all those years. And my sponsor to this day, she says, I don't know how you stayed sober. You know, she, she by the grace of God, right? By the grace of God is the only reason she walked side by side with me. She said, I don't know how you did it. (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like, sometimes when you're in that darkness and the other person is reflecting the addiction so bad, it Mm -hmm. almost kept you sober because you saw how painful that was. No, that is true. That is true. And now you get to help people. Yes. Now I get to help people who are in the same situation. I wouldn't trade those, those ugly, ugly four years for anything. I mean, I would not trade that because that really, that was God, you know, um, preparing me for, you know, eventually what he had for me in life, you know, this new life. And if I hadn't walked through the Valley, I wouldn't be able to, uh, appreciate being on the mountaintop you know, and it, it was ugly. It was dark, but, um, you know, with, like you said, uh, by the grace of God, I survived and it did make me stronger and it taught me a lot. And I do help others. Now I'm able to share my story and help others, you know, in recovery. I know it's so powerful. And now you get to share your story because this narcissist, these words Mm -hmm. that used to be so tainted are not, nobody would talk about, you say I survived a narcissist and you made it on the other side. So right. people it can, listening, it is possible. It exactly. Is possible. Oh my God. I love triumphant stories and I'm so sorry for him passing, but he's like such a, a, he just a soul that could not be yeah. released. It you know? was his entire life. I mean, yeah. he, you know, uh, his story is so much bigger, but you know, obviously we didn't get to that, but yeah, he, I don't, sadly, I don't know that there was hope for him. He was really far gone. So, um, and it is sad, you know, like I said, no, you know, you don't want anyone to suffer that fate. You want them to be well, but, um, you know, this was his journey and, um, you know, I did my best and, 
That's all you can do. And you can't fix him. You could never fix him. You can never fix somebody else. You can't. Oh my God. Thank you so much. We literally could talk forever, but it would be like the longest show. But is there anything you want to say to the listeners that just, if they're struggling, if they're in a toxic relationship, what advice would you give them right now? So I will say, I remember like it was yesterday, it's very scary when you're really, when you really start to seriously think about walking away or getting out, breaking free, it's very scary, but you just have to persevere. I mean, find, um, you know, help. There's people, there's a community, there's people, family, friends, therapists around you that want to help you with this. Um, take the leap because what's on the other side is amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Breaking free from that type of relationship is, I mean, it's just amazing. I have a life today that I never could have dreamed of. So um, just, you know, stick with it and be strong. You know, it's hard, but do it. it. You will not, you will not look back and regret. Thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.